Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture today in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, while you're turning there or while you're just raising up your head and looking there, don't forget, men, we meet this Wednesday again. Boy, we had a great crowd. I, I was afraid we might be a little off, but we weren't. Uh, had a great crowd Wednesday night. We meet at 6 o'clock right here in the auditorium. And uh, probably we're going to start going through 1 Corinthians this week. I, it's just That's a probably, a definite maybe. And... Um, but uh, we're in for, uh, 2 Corinthians today, chapter 5, and we will begin our reading in verse 13. If you've been around here very long, you already know. We're pretty sure Paul wrote four letters to Corinth. We only have two of them. We think we have two and four. But we don't have one and three. Uh, some have said that third letter might be all wound in with what we have uh, and call Second Corinthians because about halfway through, it is like his tone changes dramatically. Uh, so some have said that's two letters in one. We don't know. But we know for sure in First Corinthians, he said, I've already written you about some things. And we don't have that letter. But we're in what we know of as 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You're going to recognize some verses that maybe you've heard. I'm sure you have, but you might not have known where they were. You're going to find out they're here. For if we are... Beside ourselves. Paul had been accused of being crazy. Uh, have, well, I don't want to ask. But maybe you've been accused of being out of your mind. Paul was accused of being out of his mind. He said, it is for God. He said, I, I can just tell you, if, if, if I'm caught saying crazy things and and, and shouting and praising to God and, and acting irrational, it, it, it's for God. I, you, you just got to understand what kind of relationship I have with him. And that's what he's going to teach us in the rest of the passage. He said, and if we are of a sound mind, it is for you. He said, sometimes I put all that aside and I just sit down and I kind of put a halter on some of that and I just teach you. So sometimes I'll act like I have some sense. And he says, that's when I'm really wanting to teach you. He said, so that's for you. But he said, if I do act like a nut, he said, just get over it. That's a paraphrase because that's for God. He says in verse 14, for, this is why. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him 
who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. I will just say this about this verse. We won't have time to exegete it today. That would cure all racism. Christianity is really, faith in Christ, Christ himself is really the answer to everything. Because in Christ we no longer know each other according to the flesh. Who cares where you're from? What color you are? Any of that. None of that matters anymore once we become children of God. We don't even know each other according to the flesh anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God. He started it. We didn't do anything. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word or the commission, or to preach reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. As through God, or as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, this is the appeal God is making to you through us. He says, be reconciled. To God. He made him, last verse, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you now to just speak to our hearts with your word today. I pray, God, that you would just give us. Something, Lord, like we just never imagined. Speak to our hearts at a, at a new level today. And I pray, God, you would help us, Lord, as we sort through some of these things that, that, that are so rich in this passage, God. This dying to self, Lord, it's been on my heart all week. And I, I've begged you to help me to understand how I can do more of that. What what needs to die? What are those subtle things, Lord, in my life, uh, God, that I hardly ever notice where I have promoted me and not you? I pray, God, you'd help us now as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. There are a lot of oddities in Scripture There are contradictions to the rational mind because Scripture tells us that If you want to receive, you need to give. If you want to be free, you need to submit. And if you want to live, you need to die. So we have a lot of those in Scripture. It was like everything that Jesus taught us is backwards to what we hear and see and know in the world. 
I want us to focus on the last one, the call of God to come and die. I think Galatians 2.20 is what we would call the locus classicus. That's a fancy Latin word if you've been needing one of those. Uh, For the classic location, you know, for salvation, I'd say that would be John 3.16. For me having died, but yet I live, I don't think you can beat Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself uh, for me. So we are dead to self, but yet we are alive in Christ. I'm not too much into science. Well, I'm not at all into science fiction. I still haven't seen Star Wars. And it's been out, what, a year now? So I I, I don't know. I, I just don't watch much of that. After, uh, after that show that came on where the doctor said, he's dead, Jim. I just lost interest after that. You can't get into it after Star Trek. Nothing, just, just nothing will hang with that. But man, uh, th- there are some things that are weird that they make movies about. And one of them is the living dead, these zombie things. Now I'm really not into that. Not only are they supposed to be dead, but then you can't kill them. They knock pieces of them off and fireflies out of them, everything else, and they just bring that one, that one good arm, and they just keep coming, man. And I'm like, wow, what do you do with these things? Chainsaws don't work and all of that. I don't know. It's crazy. But we are the walking dead. That's the title of today's message. We are dead to ourselves, but we are alive in Christ. And I can tell you, it don't just all happen like Kapayal. It is a process of dying to self. I am really amazed at some, and again, I I know I've given them a hard time lately, but just hang on, it's going to get worse. But a lot of really popular preachers, and I I I, I don't mean just one or two, but they, they really deny this, denying self and, and all of that. They say, that happened when you were saved. And stop that business of dying to self. And, and self is promoted, not just in our post-truth culture, but in our churches. It, it, it is amazing. Did, did they not get it? Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him take up his cross and deny himself daily. It is an ongoing thing, and it's almost like they, they preach this gospel that, that, well, once you get saved and all of that, man, that's, you're dead, yet that's already happened. Now you need to embrace the new you that you've become, and, and I'm like, that is so post-truth, that, that is so secular, that is such an unbiblical idea. I have to die on a daily basis to myself. And, and sometimes that is so hard to do. So let's take a look this morning at the walking dead. I, it, I, I had a title called Crazy Christians. I, uh, and you'll know why when we look at the first one. But 
This is one of those passages where Paul says, if you want to know why the world has not figured us out yet, he says, here are six things that will teach you exactly why. Number one is our confusion. There is a bit of confusion about us who are born-again children of God. Verse 13, he says, For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. Ex-istomai is the word. I only say that because ex-istomai, istomai means to stand, and ek means out. So ex-istomai means that you are out of yourself. We use it in a different way. We say, man, I was so mad I was beside myself. That's exactly where this idea came from. Ex-istomai, we get our word ecstasy. Uh, from it. It means that you are uh, out of your mind. (laughs) You are beside yourself. You have left uh, your faculties behind and and you're just out there somewhere you've unplugged from your brain. And anger might do it. Excitement might do it. Whatever. Uh, Falling in love can do it. That's one of the more dangerous ones. You wake up one day married and all of that. but, But you you might get beside yourself. That's the very word that Paul uses here. He says, they're saying that I am beside myself. They, they're accusing me of being out of my mind. Irrational. Well, I'll tell you what Paul says all through his letters. And I believe it with all of my heart. Christ and his love for us was irrational. And once you accept what he has done for us, you're apt to act a little irrational yourself. Really. You you might give when you don't have it to give, but you heard that the missionaries in India weren't doing really well or whatever, or, or, or your church was falling behind in something that had to do with carrying the Word of God out or whatever it might be. Uh, you give maybe when you don't have it. You come when you don't feel like it. You love people that don't even love you. You care about folks that wouldn't pull you out of the fire and all of that. And, and you, you don't uh, uh, just discard them. And, and I know the world would look at that and they would go, you're crazy. You're, 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 you're out of your mind. And Paul says, well, that's exactly what I am then. I am out of my mind. Because I may not act rational in my life, but Jesus didn't act rational, not in the eyes of those who were not saved, when he came and died on the cross. I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but we preach Christ crucified. He says, to the Jews, that's a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, that's foolishness. But to those who are the call, both Jews and Greeks, I like that. It doesn't matter what your background was. Again, dig this stuff that being a Christian, I sound like a hippie now. But, but just think about what being a Christian is like. It doesn't matter if you were a Jew. Well, you know, I was raised this way. And, well, I came from a different culture or a different background. Ain't it cool how none of that matters after you meet Jesus? He says whether Jew or Greek. He says, once they've been saved, he says, Christ is seen as the power of God. And Jesus' death on the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let me just say this. The Jews had a history full of big events, powerful events. 
And they gleaned from them all the time. The exodus out of Egypt, they talked about it. In the Old Testament, you see a lot of it. You read about it if you read the Talmud. I know you all did this morning. Uh, the Mishnah and the, some of the other Jewish writings, they talk about them all the time. The exodus out of Egypt, the days of Elijah and the mighty works that he did, and the days of Elisha and the mighty works that he did. And they talk about all of those miraculous events. And so then there they are, somebody asking them to put their faith in an out-of-work carpenter who is going to die on the cross, which is the death of a common criminal. You're asking us to put our faith in that. We're waiting on another Moses. He tried to give us bread. We said, hey, Moses already gave us bread. You should have seen some other things that Moses was out there in that wilderness doing as well. We're waiting on a Messiah that doesn't whimper around uh, letting people jerk his beard out and slap him in the face. We're wanting a Messiah that doesn't come in on a donkey but comes in on a stallion swinging a sword ready to fight. We're used to power. Paul says that's why for the Jew the cross was a stumbling block. He says for the Greeks it just seems silly. The Greeks would be a lot of people like you and I know. It just seems silly. 1 Corinthians 1.21, I love this. For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Did you get that? The world through its wisdom never came to know God. When the world looks at those uh, photos that my son puts on Facebook, I, I think they're just incredible. But those nebula and galaxies, they see that and they go, wow, man alive, boy, isn't God awesome? You see, that's, that's powerful. But it doesn't make them have a relationship with him. There are tons of people that look at sunsets and go, boy, anybody that could look at that and not believe in God. Well, they believe in God. Tons of people believe in God. They believe God exists, and they're fascinated by the things that he does. But Paul says they were so fascinated by the things that he did. In Romans chapter 1, he said they started worshiping those things. They started really looking at them as God instead of the Creator, the one who made them. They know about Nebula, but they don't know about Jesus. They don't have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It says that God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians 1.21 The foolishness of the message. Not some preacher conjugating Greek verbs. Not some PhD, which is nothing wrong with that but not some brilliant orator who is able to convince you with science and, and, and newly discovered data from the Holy Land. Oh, we found, uh, this one kills me. They claim to have found the wheels on the chariots in the Dead Sea. That is not true. I mean... It's not that I'm just doubting. I, no, I looked up the data on the people that claimed they did, and they didn't. 
and, I, and I'm not saying we don't have stuff like that. Go to the Holy Land. There's tons of stuff over there like that. But if you get persuaded through those kinds of things, scientific fact and all of that, if I back you in a corner with logic, that's never going to win you to Christ. It will be those foolish things that I stand up here and say, those things that are irrational, those things that assault the intellect of, of, of our thinking, those are the things Paul said that really draw us to God and that we have a relationship with Him. There's a lot of confusion about us, folks. The constraint that we have on us is another thing that confuses people in verse 14, for the love of Christ constrains or controls us. Last week we preached on Psalm 23 and we talked about sheep, we talked about flocks, we talked about shepherds, we talked about how that night that the shepherd would put the sheep in a little place that they couldn't get out of or wander off and nothing could get to the sheep and there'd be one little opening there and it was called the door. That was the door of the sheepfold, and the shepherd would sleep across that. So if anything tried to get into the fold, it had to go through him. I love John 10. He says, I am the door of the sheepfold. That's exactly what he meant. You and I might have thought he was talking about, you know, a three-alt uh, oak finish, whatever. Uh, no, he was talking about, I'm the shepherd, my sheep are in there, you can't get in there unless you go by me. And if you try to go in some other way, he said, I can tell you, you're not legitimate, you're a thief or a robber. He said, you don't go in the sheepfold, you don't come to know God except through Jesus Christ. That's what he was teaching us. We talked about all of those things. The one thing you noticed we never mentioned last week was fences. Sheep didn't live in fences. Now, now go with me here. Fences would be legalism. You understand that? You can't go anywhere because you're in this fence. Sheep in a fence don't need a shepherd. They don't have fences over there where in the Holy Land. You go over there and you'll see a shepherd up on a hillside, and if the sheep wanted to, they could run for 10 miles. Why don't they? They're free to. No, Jesus said, my sheep, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? They follow me. See, that's not legalism. Legalism is when you put people in a fence, and you tell them, look, you're going to have to quit dating those girls that chew tobacco. That's got to stop. And you, you're gonna, if you're going to go to heaven, you're going to have to work on some things. Look, it's, this business of getting to church late, that's a point for every five minutes and whatever. It just goes on and on. You will never satisfy God with legalism. We are not sheep that are locked up in a pen. That's religion. You understand that? Can you not see that in Islam? Can you not see that in Hinduism? Go to India sometimes and watch people do some of the craziest things in the world simply because this God right here, whatever his name is, and they have thousands, hundreds of thousands of gods, this God on the side of the road that they built said, you've got to do this. So they'll be out there. Uh, Bruce, is that you at the door? Yep. 
we watched them, did we not, walk around a tree, just around and around and around a tree because there was a God out there that told them to do it. And we could see them from our hotel window. And why didn't we get out there and walk right around that tree? Why did our God not make us go do something like that? That's because they are a part of legalistic religion. We're not part of that. We are part of faith in Jesus Christ. And we follow Him, not because we can't go anywhere else, but because we don't want to go anywhere else. The word constrain is suneco, and it's a word that literally means to walk up behind somebody and you put your arms around them and you fold their arms in. It means to draw together. Soon is to together and you, and you pull them in together and you just wrap them up like that. And Paul says, Christ's love for me has me like that. He loves me so much. I, I just, man, I, 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 it's not that I can't get away. I don't want to get away. My goodness. If you're in a marriage, if you could imagine this to where the only reason you're still there is because the divorce would cost so much. You're not in a marriage. That's not a marriage. That's not a relationship. I follow Jesus not because he's going to find me or hate me or kill me if I don't. I follow him because I'm constrained. I am pulled together by his love. He's got me. He loves me so much. I don't want to run five miles away. And I won't need a fence. None of that makes any sense to our world. Thirdly, there's confusion. There's our constraint. Our crucifixion is another one that really boggles their mind. Our crucifixion, verse 5. I mean, verse 15. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. That's the key we're talking about here. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That is a great scriptural way of saying the Christian life is not about me. I can barely get through a sermon with just notes. Today I'm I'm walking on the edge, buddy. I brought props. Okay? I had to look this up. I'm not nearly smart enough to know any of these things, but May of 1999. That's a day. Actually, that's a month. But one of those days in there changed the world. I can't believe you're not just stunned. I can't believe you didn't fall out of your seat thinking about it. In May of 1999, the Japanese put on the market the uh, Kosera Visual VP-210. What is that? Spaceship, cure for cancer? No, bigger than that. It was a telephone that would let you take a picture of yourself. And I thought this was really interesting. <laughs> An Australian man, all like the Aussies, 
an Australian man named Nathan Hope, you can just see this happening. Sounds like a scene on Crocodile Dundee. Got drunk at his 21st birthday party and posted a picture of his lip that had been busted. I can say busted. Wide open. They had stitched it together and he put a caption on it. He says, sorry about the focus. It's a Cephi. And guess what was born? In Australia in 2002, we now have a name for it. It's called a selfie. I've seen them. I guess you really can buy a stick. It's a selfie stick. Put it out there. A picture, a phone that will take a picture of me. It's not that I just want a beautiful picture of this horizon out here. I want me in it. If you meet an important person, it's no long, you're no longer satisfied with just taking their picture. No, no, no. I, can I get a selfie? I want me in it. The selfie was born. Man, and then, I didn't know this, but did you realize we've missed it? We've not even celebrated it this year. Well, I guess we could say we missed it this year because of COVID, but we won't next year. June 21st is National Selfie Day. It better not be on a Sunday. We won't have church. World Selfie Day is June 22nd. Two back-to-back. I mean, it's like Thanksgiving all over. Preacher, we can't have church. It's National Selfie Day. I've got to put me in the picture. And we also have other things like Facebook, and I forgot the one that came along before that. I know you remember it, but, and there were others, and there's Twitter. I don't even understand exactly how that works, but you can have a page on the internet that is all about you. You can put your picture on there, the kids on there, and and all of that. Now, I, I'm not condemning all of that. I'm, I'm on Facebook. But what I am saying to you is this. It is amazing. It is amazing how we have, instead of dying to self, and our culture has kind of sucked us along and brought us along with it to where we focus so much on ourselves. And Paul says that we are to die to self. He says in this verse, he said that they would no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and rose again on their behalf. Jesus even said this. He said, for whoever wishes to save his life, in Matthew 16, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I I know it happens so often in the world to people we would never know, but It happens to people that are very popular. I thought about people who, in an effort to save their life, in an effort to pour a ton of resources into their life, to keep that good look going, to keep that that career rolling, to, to keep that popularity at a fever pitch. I think about people like Elvis. I know I'm old. But I remember the great quote from his bodyguards. You probably heard it. They said, we can protect him from anybody in the world but himself. 
I think about Marilyn Monroe. She died, I think, before I was born. I don't remember, but man, beautiful lady. Took her own life, right? Some of you that are even older than me. She lost her life because she couldn't give it up. And now today, oh my goodness, we, we've got others. I thought about Kurt Cobain. I never listened to a single song he did. I am so amazed, though, that even to this day, after he blew his head off with a shotgun, that people still almost speak of him in reverence. I'm like, here's a guy that didn't want to live anymore, and he's an icon for you? Have you lost your mind? Maybe you're beside yourself. See, that's another thing, and, and I'm letting the cat out of the bag early because all these people that think Christians are crazy, really? Kurt Cobain? Still got the poster up, do you? Said that I had a little Aussie accent on that, didn't I? I? I'm just saying to you that our world is so messed up. There's another guy that tried to hold on to his life. And, and when these people get to the place that the Botox no longer works and the slim and trim and the suck it and pin it and tuck it and zip it and all of that doesn't work and, and the popularity doesn't work and, and they don't get the part in the film anymore or whatever. So many of them, they blow their head off or take drugs or whatever it is, they end their life and leave behind millions of dollars. So obviously that's not the answer. A gigantic house is everywhere all over the world. All because they were trying their best to save their life. Jesus already said, you pour enough resources into self and eventually self will be gone. That's a powerful truth. Most people don't know who Nicholas Herman is. And he wouldn't care. We know him as Brother Lawrence. He was a monk in a monastery. He had the just deadly important spiritual job of washing dishes. But he said, every day I wash dishes for the glory of God. Man, how in the world can a guy who never even gets to go outside? And these monks lived during a period of time called asceticism. Asceticism is where you think if you endure pain, it makes you more spiritual. So they would. They would wear clothes that didn't fit well. You know that shirt you got that's got that tag that makes you look like you've got some kind of rare neurological problem. They would love those. They would. They would wear croaker sack material. Sometimes they would soak them in urine. They would stink and feel miserable, and they thought it made them more spiritual. And that go out into the world and share the gospel, they kind of miss that too. Matter of fact, one of the reasons they hated Martin Luther so badly, he said, let's open a door to this place. He started out in one. He said, let's take the gospel to the world. But here's old brother Lawrence. He got along quite well because he had given up his life. He gave his life to Christ. Man. 
and wash dishes for the glory of God. One more thing and we'll move on. Remember Isaiah 6 when he saw the vision of God in the temple and the cherubim were flying around and had the wings and all of that. Do you remember he didn't go, hey, could a couple of you guys maybe get a little closer? I'd like to, I'd like to get a shot of the, me and this, some of the smoke maybe. No. He said, I, 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 don't, I don't think I want a picture of that. He, he looked at his iPhone. It, it's, it's in some ancient manuscripts. I'll, I'll have to read it for you. He said, woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And you remember, Jesus said this to us. What comes out of a man's mouth came from his heart. He was saying, I am a man that's dirty inside and out. The Word of God says no man has seen God and lived. I know that meant physically. But no man has seen God the way Isaiah saw him and lived either. You immediately die. You die to self. You, Isaiah saw him and he said, woe is me. I am so undone. I am so unrighteous, God. I have to learn to die to self. I have to do that. I've prayed this week, God, please help me. To stop being so selfish. I can tell you it comes on. I, I try to be transparent with you. And I hope it doesn't bother you. But I, I don't want to lie to you. But there are times that I'll see, let's say, a Facebook post. And I'll go, oh, huh. I got some information that I need to stick in there. I know a little something about that I don't think they know. And the, the dopamines, okay, that wasn't a band. But they just go crazy, man. And I go back every little bit and say, oh, I got a like. David Cooper liked it. Well, he didn't really count. He likes everything I say. Here's somebody I don't even know. Maybe you hear a conversation and you just feel like, I really ought to interject myself in that. Us preachers sometimes, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you inside information. Sometimes us preachers will throw an old Greek word or two in there just to let you know that we know a little Greek. God convicted me of that. I still do, but I try to make sure it has some significance in it. I, I, it's incredible though how subtle it is when you realize how much of yourself you feel is important. Come in church, see if I can get the closest parking place. What if you came to church and just said, hey, I'll park across the road if I have to. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. I'm going to leave that for somebody else or whatever. And I know that's not an issue here right now. I wish it was. But I'm just saying to you, there's so many ways we interject ourselves into life. I prayed hard this week, God, let me die to self. Number four, there's a creation involved. That's another thing that makes us look weird. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. 
Yes, that word new, here comes a Greek word. I shouldn't have said, I should have moved that point. But here's a word, kainos. You know the word neos means new like you got a brand new car. That's new as in time. It's not been driven. It just was made yesterday. But kainos is a word that we don't really have a word for in English. It's new in nature. There's never been anything like it before. Kainos is a powerful word for new, much more strong than neos. So uh, kainos, he says, we're a new creature. It's not like we are the old self that God rebuilt and, 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 and he just kind of did a, a redo with our life. No, we are brand new. We're not the old person worked on. We are a brand new person that has like never existed before. It's incredible what he says here. We are a new creature. And whenever the word create, everywhere in Scripture the word create is used. God is always the subject. The word in the Hebrew is bara. We get our word barren from it. It means to make from nothing. We use a Latin term, ex nihilo. Out of nothing God made everything. Now, that's important for us because I want to tell you something. You brought nothing when God made you. We brought nothing. No promises. What? Did you tell God? Maybe you were like me. I did that a few times before I got saved. This thing makes a cool hanky, by the way. But I would bring God promises. God, if you'll just get me out of this car that's upside down somewhere. I'll this or that or whatever. We God doesn't. God's like, don't bring that to me. I'm creating here. I'm not making. Asah was the word for make. Sometimes we bring that righteous flesh. Boy, that's ugly. Where we say, God, I, I've quit cussing, but about twice a week now, and 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 I only go to the bars just I just I'm down to weekends now, and and whatever else you want to bring to God, and and you got your little life all cleaned up, and you bring it to God. God says, Don't bring me anything. I am creating here. Don't bring me your efforts. Don't bring me any of that. He says. Just fall before me knowing you are nothing. Bring me nothing. Fall before me broken. Keep your promises. Make them to somebody else. But when you're really ready to accept me as your Savior, fall at my feet and say, God, I have nothing to bring. He says, and then out of nothing, man, I can make you a new creature. Confusion, our constraint, our crucifixion, or creation. Number five, our commission. In verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, representatives for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He uses a word here for ambassador. Uh, presbuti is the word. Legatus presbuti was actually a Latin term. Let me tell you where he got this word. In Rome, they had two kinds of provinces. They had the ones that were submissive. They had already signed treaties with Rome. 
They didn't fight Rome. There weren't battles that broke out. They were, there was no resistance. They were broken. They looked to the empire for their laws. They were ruled, and they were okay with that. Those were peaceful provinces. Those are called senatorial provinces. They were ruled by senators, okay? But then they had some provinces that hadn't quite got it yet. They were still fighting back. And they would be ruled from the emperor's office. They were called imperial provinces. And the emperor would keep sending these ambassadors out to these provinces where these people who hated Rome wanted Rome to go away and all of that. And he would send these legatus presbuti out to these people to try to calm them down or to at least let them know you, you either are going to surrender or you, you're going to die. It's one or the other. But he would try to get them to go out and, and convince them that the best thing you can do is just submit to the Roman Empire. Now, they were tyrants, so that's really where the analogy would end. But Paul says, I am an ambassador of Christ. And he said, He uses a word that would be to an imperial province. He said, God has sent me out into a world that's hostile toward him. They don't want to hear about him. They're still fighting. God has sent me to people that still think they can make it on their own. He sent me out to people that go to church once in a while, and why is it that good enough? My goodness. I I mean, you don't have to get fanatical about it. He sent me out to people like that, that are still fighting. He said, I used to kick against the ox goad. Remember, God said, why are you kicking against the goads when he saved him on the road to Damascus? That cow prod that you would poke a cow in the back end with and make him go. He says, Paul, why are you still kicking against the goads? I've been trying to push you in the right direction, and you have fought me all the way. Those are the people you and I have been sent to take a message to them that God loves them. And he says, we beg you, he says in the verse, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. i got to say this even if I don't get to the last point. No, it's just 2.30. We're okay. We say sometimes, When somebody dies, I hope he made peace with God. I can go ahead and tell you he didn't. You say, well, now, Pastor, how would you know? Well, I know because here's how it works. Every single time reconciliation is mentioned in Scripture, God is reconciling us to himself. It's always passive voice. Camilla will teach you all about that if you'll see her after church today. Uh, Rich Cox, who's our English, English folks. But it's always passive voice. You are being reconciled. You don't reconcile yourself to God. You don't make yourself right with God. You don't make your peace with God. 
God has to make peace with us. He reconciles us to himself. You don't reconcile yourself to God. We were estranged from God. He was not estranged from us. So no compromise needed. And I think nowadays, and I'll say this and we'll move to our last point, but I think some days people act like they're working a deal. They're buying a house or something when they come to God. It it is almost like uh, they're thinking, okay, well, you know, I, I, I want to know God and I want to be saved and all of that, but I don't know. He may have to get rid of And they won't verbalize it this way. But, boy, these are realities in their thinking. He might have to get rid of hell. That's, that sounds a little rough. That sounds a little rough. And, and this business of Jesus being the only way you can be saved, there's a lot of people nowadays, I'm not so sure about that one either. Look, you're not buying a car from God. You're not going like, well, I might take it if you put new tires on it. No. We bring nothing. And whatever God demands of us, we accept or we die lost. Man, I know some people, they're brilliant intellectually. But because God has never satisfied their intellectual curiosity about things like how could Jesus be divine or how could a God take his son and butcher him for other people, how could somebody actually come forth from the dead They have kicked the tires on salvation for decades. But that's as far as they've gotten. Because God won't step up to the plate and give them a peace of mind about the things that bother them. I'm afraid they're never going to get saved. Hell's full of really smart people. Full of really smart people. Well... And then last of all, there's a conversion. Verse 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, Messiah. I love that song. We sing these very words. Man. The whole process started with him. God is the one that did it. And when you get converted, that's a word we like to use a lot. You know, conversions, I think about cars. I grew up liking them. I was a car kind of guy. First car I ever owned was a 66 Chevelle Supersport. I sold it once the engine blew. Don't hate me, because I already do. $275. Do you know what just a hood off 66 SS would cost you nowadays? I know some of you women are going, what is that? (laughs) You guys aren't, are you? Oh, it had the 396 four-bolt main. Uh, 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 375 horse. Oh, yeah. 
Ah, the idiot. Uh, <laughs> when you convert something, though, sometimes they have what they call conversion kits. Volkswagens were popular. You could turn them into a Bentley. Have you ever seen one of those? Really? You could just bolt stuff to it. <laughs> you took something over here and put on this, and you got, that's a Bentley. No, it's not. It's a Volkswagen with some junk screwed to it, okay? That's what that is. But if you think it's a Bentley, would you like to buy this? God didn't just bolt stuff to us. He took our sinfulness. Now that means, well, either he's going to have to die or he's going to have to pull the God card and go, well, since I'm God, I'm going to change this up a little bit. I said only death could pay for sin. But since it's me doing the dying, I'm, I, I'm just going to say a good beating should do it. He couldn't do that and be true to his nature. He had to die because he knew no sin. But he had my ugliness on him, and he took that. And what he gave me was his righteousness. Whew. Hallelujah. You can't get more righteous than that. Do you understand why I fail every day of my life? But do you understand why I wouldn't want to go anywhere else? I, there's just no need. And you and I, if we're born again, we need to understand why the world sometimes thinks we're crazy. They think we're nuts. They think we're out of our mind. You could have so much. You could do so much. You could have gone into another kind of business. You could have whatever. Uh, you, you, you didn't have to give like you did or whatever. It, it just is crazy. I, when people do things like take their vacation, I know families that take their vacation every year, at least one of them, and it's a mission trip somewhere. They don't go to Myrtle Beach. I know people that they used it sometime, but maybe not a lot, had an extra car sitting in the yard, took it and sold it, and gave the money to missions. A lot of people go, that's crazy. That was a nice car, I thought. They just... And sometimes it kills you, does it not, when your own family, people that's closest to you, look at you and go, you're going Where? That ends in a stand. I don't think I want to go to any of those countries. Well, I'm going. It's because of all of this. We've died to self. We've died to self. We no longer live, but the life we now live, we live by faith in Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray together this morning that God would help us. Help us to die more to us. Lord, we come to you this morning and we cry out, God, help us. We cry out to you, Lord. Help us to die to self. Help us, Lord, to be ambassadors for you. Help me, God. God, you call me to represent you. Not Republicans or conservatives or to stand 
in the middle of a political barn burning all the time. God, I've I've fallen prey into all of those things. I confess it to you right now in front of this body of believers, Lord. Sometimes I get so caught up, my attention is so drawn to arguments and debates, God, where I feel I've got to step in and represent a side, a policy, a party. God, you've called me to none of that. Doesn't mean, Lord, I shouldn't stand for what is right, I know. But God, you've called me to be an ambassador for you to preach the kingdom. And if some of the things I say sound foolish, God, those are the things, Lord, you tell us you'll use to draw people to you. I pray, God, you'd help us with that. God, we've been carried along so gently and quietly and easily. We have drifted. We've lost our mooring, Lord. We have, we have drifted so far uh, down this path, God, of it being about us and our rights, Lord. And, and uh, don't be offended. And there's, there's just so much is poured into that today. And life is all about the self, God. Please help us as your children to stand up and be different, Lord. We give ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.